Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Two verses out of this letter from Peter. It's chapter 2. I will read verses 9 and 10. Peter, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, we thank you for your mercy. As you've told us, it's made new each morning. We pray that you would bless the preached word now, that we would be made different as a result of your Holy Spirit at work in us. Transform us, God, at this moment. Make your mercy something we, we feel and we think on deeply, that it would transform even the way in which we're living our lives today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In order to understand what Peter's talking about, we have to understand the word mercy. And mercy is one of those words which we, we essentially know what it means. We hear it all the time. It's much like the, the word grace, but there are distinctives. Mercy means this. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness given to someone to whom that person or God has the right to inflict punishment or discipline. In other words, mercy is the opposite of what you should receive. And you receive it just because the one who has the right to bring about the wrath or the justice simply chooses not to. And it is because of mercy that we live. It is because of mercy that we have the promise of eternal life. It's because of mercy that we've gathered here today. But it keeps going deeper and deeper. When I was brand new to the faith, I received this Bible right here, the very one. It was given to me by my young life leader in June of 1982, just after I prayed the sinner's prayer, going down the Romans road as he led me. He took me into a little bookstore at the Young Life Camp, and he spent $12.95 on this Bible. I knew how much it cost because I thought it was a treasure. I had no idea how much Bibles were, but he gave it to me. And when he gave it to me, he told me to do something that I really thought would make me go to hell. He said, I want you to write in your Bible. And he gave me a pencil. And I really thought, because I was taught, you don't do that. He said, no, it's okay. It's the Word of God. Put question marks by things you don't understand. Highlight or underline things that you think are important. And let's continue to talk about the Word of God. And then he said, I want you to memorize the Word of God too. Anything you memorize, highlight it with a yellow marker. And so I did, and I began to dig into the Word of God. When I received the Bible, I wasn't embarrassed. I wasn't afraid of what would happen to me if I carried it. Uh, I was proud of it. I knew that there would be relationships back home with people that would change because I had become a Christian, but I wasn't really afraid. I, I wasn't afraid for my life, for sure. I wasn't afraid of anything that might happen to my family. I just was thankful that I had the Word of God. About 10 years ago, my second trip to East Asia, I was witnessing students from 
this church taking Bibles and handing Bibles in their native language to students that they were sharing the good news of Jesus with. And I I saw something that I never would have expected. The students were literally just ripping the pages out of the Bible one by one, just like this. And I thought, why would they be doing that? And I asked one of the translators and they said, well, they, they can't carry their Bibles around. They will be persecuted. And so what they do is they tear it out one page at a time and they memorize it. And then they give it to the next person. And so over time, the word of God goes deep into their heart as they simply fold it, put it in their pocket, and later share. Hmm. What a humbling picture. We are in a culture that is also ripping pages out of the Bible. But not so that they can memorize it and live by it, but because they don't like what it says. They don't like what it might say about a particular sin or about a particular life. They don't like that it might say that Jesus proclaimed this and it sounds as if he is judging everyone else. And people who once professed faith in the word and believed that it was all of the word suddenly find themselves saying, I can't, I can't associate with that anymore. And so they just simply begin to tear pages out. They don't want to be seen or associated with those who would appear to be this way. My friends, the world in which we live in There's nothing new. Those who have been against the word of God have always been against the word of God. From the beginning, there have been those in opposition. Even the very first temptation was centered on a question from the enemy to Eve. And the question was, did God really say? And so from the very beginning, there has been a temptation to not believe God for his word, to not believe that this indeed is the word of God. And as believers, no matter how dark the world gets around us, we must never, ever surrender to what the Word of God says. We don't need to. It's powerful, and it is the living Word from the living God. And what happens, though, is the darkness comes as we begin to live in fear. And there are fearful things all around us. As Tuesday approaches, Many are living in great fear of what will happen to our country. I think about this church, for example, in the most recent uh, witness that our, our church puts out that highlights different ministries in our church. If you don't get one in the mail, you should grab one on the racks out here. In the middle of it, there's a picture of this church building being built in 1955. And what you see is the still structures going up. What I love about the pictures, you see the cars of the time parked right in front of this church. It's 1955. Imagine how big this building looked to the city of Dallas as this church was being planted. Pretty amazing. At the heart of this church and that building being built, this building being built was that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out and that people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of those Baptist ministers that preached right here in this spot, I wonder how many of the leaders of that church and the members of that church could have ever imagined a day when our country would look the way it looks. My friends, this country is in the midst 
of a spiral. We see it. But my friends, as Christians, we are called to stand with great hope on something that is not just a mere affirmation or a well-said, friendly, flowery statement. We have the foundation of the Word of God and the King of Kings. None of this is new to him. Evil kings have been put in place. Darkness has been all around the world. Incredible atrocities against mankind. And we are fearful. But as the church, our response has to be different. The response of the church has to be one in which we live in the power and presence of a permanent identity. The power and presence of a permanent identity of who we already are in Jesus Christ. And this is important because the church will not fail. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And that reality is your primary identity. And that's what Peter is saying. Look with me at verse 9 again. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, I, I think that for most of us, we tend to read the Bible very quickly. Whether we're in the middle of a reading plan or preparing for a Bible study, the temptation is just to hear it read or to read it very quickly, to check the box and, and kind of move on. When we come to a statement like Peter has just made about who we are in Christ, we need to slow down. These four statements that he makes about people who are in Christ are incredibly significant. Listen again to what he says. He says, you're a chosen race. He says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. Can we take these for a few minutes and just soak? Think about it. You, Christian, if you are in Christ, you profess faith in Jesus, you are part of right now, now, not one day in the future, you are right now part of a chosen race. What does that mean? It means that God from all eternity selected you to be a part of his people. Now, regardless of what you, you believe about the doctrine of predestination, and people have quick responses to that because our minds can't comprehend the mystery that exists. Words like elect and chosen are biblical words. So when we're confronted with these words, you've got to start with God first, what God said, not man first and what man thinks about what God said. God's word says, from Jesus's lips, you did not choose me, I chose you. That's amazing because it's centered on mercy. What that means is that if you're in Christ, you have been selected by God, chosen by God to be part of a race. This does not mean a national race like you and I are thinking or tempted to think. It means that we are part of something that is far greater, that involves people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And what it means is that at some 
point the Lord reveals to you and to me, if we're in Christ, that he chose us. On June 23rd, 1982, when I had that Bible given to me, all I knew is that I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. As far as I knew, it was completely me saying, I choose God. I asked my young life leader the question, I told him something's wrong with me. He said, I'll tell you what it is. He explained the gospel to me. And then I said, I want Jesus. What I did not know was that a sovereign God was moving behind the scenes to bring me to that place where I would say, I need a savior. And he's the one. So I'm part of a chosen race, like all who are in Christ. Now this is important. It is not because God looked into the future and said, Mark's gonna be pretty good. He's going to be pretty faithful. My friends, it's all about his mercy. It's all about his grace. It is by grace you have been saved. The second thing he says is that we are a royal priesthood. Again, these are not flowery words to make up an encouraging Hallmark card. These are profound words given by God, the Holy Spirit carrying Peter along. So what Peter is saying is, Christians, you're part of a chosen race. It's bigger than you can imagine. You actually are a royal priesthood. That's big. Here's why. They always had priests. And the priests were the ones that would make sacrifices for them over and over again. Well, now there is a high priest, one high priest, the high priest, and the high priest is Jesus Christ. And this high priest didn't just offer the sacrifices, he was the sacrifice. And because we have him, we no longer need to go to human priests in order for those sacrifices to be made. We can pray directly in the name of the high priest to the Father. Better than that though, All Christians are part of a royal priesthood. You know what that means? In our bulletin, occasionally we'll have the list of the pastors and elders. Occasionally we'll even have the names of of deacons. It's a wonderful picture, but you know what's most important? This church believes that Jesus Christ is the head. And this church believes in the priesthood of all believers. So if there was room, every name of every man and woman who's a member of this church should be printed because you are part of this royal priesthood going out in the name of Christ, pointing people to Jesus. That's an incredible calling. And it's called royal. Do you think about that very often? In the Bible, the word royal means that which belongs to or is appointed to or is suited for a king. I mean, think about that. If you were going to meet royalty, you would think deeply about what you would wear, what you would say, what the conversation might look like. If your children were going, they would be dressed appropriately. My friends, you are called a royal priesthood. And we are not talking about an earthly king, but we're talking about the one and only, capital K, king of kings. The king in which all other authority on all the earth for all time must subject themselves. That is the king we're speaking of. So a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And then he says this, 
a holy nation. This is a nation that is not defined by borders, but it is a nation of people that's set apart by God. And the word he uses to describe this nation is what? Holy. Here's my question. Do you see yourself as holy? Are you holy? The word holy means to be set apart. I asked our staff, about 100 people, earlier this week at a luncheon. I said, are you holy? And almost every staff member looked at me and shook their heads. You know what they were thinking of? They were thinking that I was gonna lead them to the reality of the, we all fall short, we all sin. But the truth is, we are holy. We are holy right now with a permanent identity that covers us because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. When the Father sees us through Christ, He sees His holiness. We are under Him, hidden in Him. So we are holy right now. It's a permanent identity. But we are also becoming holy. Our actions still are stained with sin. There's parts of our life that don't measure up. That's why weekly we confess our sin to, to the Lord and to one another before God. But we have an identity that's permanent and it's holiness. And that's also who we're becoming. Last thing he says by way of identity is he says, you are a people for his own possession. Okay, what does that mean? The word people here means intimate, so it means we're close. And the word possession means that we have been purchased. Don't let this ever get old to you. That's why I love the song we started the service with. Jesus Christ purchased you and me, Christian, that we might be his own possession. What that means is Jesus essentially went out and said, whatever the price will be, I will pay it. And when he did, it's as if he put a circle around all who would be his. And he says, they are mine. They have been purchased with my blood. The Father says, they're purchased with my son's blood. The Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and minds so that we can realize it was me who put him there, but he gladly did it for me that I might live forever. That is who we are right now in Christ. Those four statements are statements of a permanent identity. But why did he give them to us? The verse continues, look at this. That, second part of verse nine, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In a moment like this, with a people like this, the church of Jesus Christ, the temptation is to focus on the exile part of our sojourn. The temptation is to focus on how difficult and dark things look around us, and they do, we can't deny it. But for believers, we have to look somewhere else. We must look to the one sovereign God whose excellencies are beyond our comprehension. P. 
Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, how excellent is God? I want to encourage us to do something, not just this week, but really forever, beginning now that we would set our eyes upon the excellencies of the living God. I want you to think about the attributes of God. His omnipotence, meaning all power. His omniscience, meaning all knowing. We will wait, most of us in front of a television, to watch what's going to happen Tuesday night. Never forget that there is nothing that God can learn about those running for office, about the outcome of this election, or even the next 10 elections. There's nothing God can learn. He's omniscient. He is also omnipresent. What that means is that he is with us, his spirit living inside us. He is sovereign. When Peter calls us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that's what he means. That we as his people are speaking the truth about who he has revealed himself to be. And he is excellent. He is beyond what we can even imagine. But he reveals enough for us to be in awe. Are you in awe of his excellencies? As you go through the list of attributes that you know about the Lord God, at some point you're gonna to get to an attribute called mercy. And I want you to linger there for a while. Here's why. In verse 10, Peter says, once you were not a people. I doubt many of us know what that feels like. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The reason I want all of us to linger at mercy is this. We, not one of us, have deserved God's mercy. Not one of us has deserved the title of being a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Not one of us, and not only not one of us, but no one before us except Christ. So it is by his mercy that we receive this permanent identity that I was speaking of, that Peter's speaking of. And it is by his mercy that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But that mercy won't mean much to us unless we consider the darkness, not the darkness that we are afraid of facing now, but the darkness that he saved us from for all eternity. You see, I can sense the darkness coming, but I don't lack hope. But there is a darkness for eternity in which hope is no longer an option. God saved me from that darkness. 
And if you are in Christ, he saved you from that darkness too. Why? So that you could see who you already are in him and then proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. And you know what happens to the light? As things get darker, the light gets brighter. And no matter how dark this nation or this city gets, I pray that for every day, decade, or generation until Christ returns, that this particular building, that this particular sanctuary planted on this particular plot of ground will be full of people who are shining so bright in the midst of the darkness because God has shown us mercy. If you're in Christ, he has shown it to you. If you're in Christ, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you his own, who called you out of that darkness into himself. He is the marvelous light. Lord Jesus, I know that here this morning, I am in the midst of men and women and children who believe in you, who have been set free from the bondage that we've been singing about. And God, I need so much as they do, the constant reminder that it is because of your mercy and not our own self-righteousness that we have been saved. And God, our world needs so much, but above all, it needs the truth about you. So God, would you continue to show us mercy as your people, a holy nation, a chosen race, royal priests, people that belong to you. And God, would you cause the mercy to go so deep in us that it has to escape so much so that we would be unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard, namely that we are yours. Lord, let this soak deep into my heart, deep into our hearts, that the light of Christ might shine brighter than we can ever imagine. We pray in Christ's name, amen.